After President Trump's devastating political defeat over Trump care and his vow not to return to health care in its wake, Trump allies say that he will move next on tax reform. That was an open question, actually, since Trump has also talked in sterling terms about a huge infrastructure bill that would dump a trillion bucks into public works. But given the Trump care political circular firing squad, will tax reform be any easier for Trump to ram through Congress? Here are five things you need to know. First, deficit matters. One of the first prominent Republican talking points during the Obama era was that Obama had blown out the deficit, which of course he had. The national debt was $10.6 trillion when Obama took office. It was almost $20 trillion when Obama left office. Tax reform, lowering the tax rate, will increase the deficit in the short term, even if the supply-side logic that economic growth will increase tax revenues pays off in the long term. That means Republicans are going to have to contend with a slew of headlines that they're blowing out spending, even if they're just letting people keep their own money. And that's if they don't use budget reconciliation. If they do use the the process known as budget reconciliation, they'll have to demonstrate that their plan won't increase the deficit over the next 10 years to only need 51 votes. And the projected savings from Trump care, one trillion bucks over 10 years supposedly, won't be available as an excuse to cut taxes since Trump care didn't pass and since that estimate wasn't actually true. Tax reform advocate Grover Norquist says Trump care's failure will only allow the top marginal tax rate to drop to 28% rather than 20% on this basis. Second, Trump has sent mixed messages on taxes. During the campaign, Trump's tax plan was one of the best among all Republican candidates. He called for dramatic lowering of all of the top tax brackets. But in 2011, Trump said, quote, I don't mind sacrificing for the country, to be honest with you. Before he rolled out his campaign plan, he talked openly about raising taxes on the highest income earners. He said, I would let people who are making hundreds of thousands of dollars a year pay some tax. I don't mind paying a little more in taxes. In May 2016, he dumped on his own tax plan after it came out. He told CNBC he wasn't a fan of tax breaks for high earners. He said, quote, I am so much more into the middle class who have just been absolutely forgotten in our country. He said that his original tax plan was merely a negotiation starting point. Trump said of tax rates for the highest earners, on my plan they're going down, but by the time it's negotiated, they will go up. Never mind that the top 20% of income earners pay 84% of all federal income taxes and nearly all of the net federal income tax. Third, Trump loves tariffs. So Trump thinks trade is a zero-sum game, a mercantilist position that has been debunked repeatedly by economists. But that means he thinks that American companies can only benefit if we tax imports and subsidize exports. Trump's plain and simple tariff plan has now been turned into something slightly more acceptable by the Republican Congress, the border adjustment tax, which is essentially a value-added tax all Europe. Investment returns aren't tariffed, but all goods sold in the U.S. are taxed at 20%, including investment goods, while the corporate tax is lowered. That means a subsidy for exporting companies and a penalty for importers, even importers who buy products to use in exports. This should raise the value of the dollar and buy an equivalent amount to the tax. It also punishes importers. But as William Gale of the Brookings Institution explains, quote, if the theory is correct and the exchange rate fully adjusts, rises by the level of the tax, the border adjustment would have no effect on the trade balance, the level of exports, the level of imports, the domestic price level, or the net profitability of importers and exporters. Trump may embrace the border adjustment tax as a substitute for his tariff love, particularly since he doesn't seem to understand the intricacies of the border adjustment tax. But what happens when free traders in Congress object? saying that importing American companies like Walmart shouldn't be penalized. Or what happens when the World Trade Organization says the border adjustment tax breaks its rules, and Trump tries to ram it through anyway, calling those who oppose him globalists. Fourth, Trump has very little leverage with Republicans at this point. Trump threatened Republicans to pass Trump care. Instead, he had to pull his bill because it appeared he'd be short by up to 40 votes in the House. Trump's desire to rush the bill, his obvious lack of knowledge on the bill, his mixed messaging on its contents, all of it combined to undercut his leverage. His leverage isn't going to grow on tax reform, particularly given all the interests involved. Finally, Democrats are not going to work with Trump. Trump seems to think that if Republicans won't work with him, Democrats will. That's silly. Democrats despise Trump. They think he's weak. They won't be able to answer to a base with a below 10% approval rating for the president. So... Is tax reform going to go better than health care reform? Well, it would be hard for it to go worse. Some sort of deal is more likely to be hammered out for sure. But it won't be Trump just cutting the Gordian knot. It will be a knotty, complex thicket. The biggest question right now is whether Trump has the patience to actually push something through. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. Wow. When last we left our saga, it was totally unclear as to whether the bill would pass, whether, in fact, the Republicans would be able to pass Trump care. The answer, it turns out, was no. And we're going to get to all the ramifications of that, including, most importantly, as Yoda suggests. The shroud of the dark side has fallen. Begun. The Clone War has. 
Except now it's the war on Republicans, the the war on conservatives particularly, not the war on Republicans. The war on conservatives has begun, and we'll talk all about that because Trump is actually leading that war. This is what some of us had feared, but we'll get to that in just a second. First, we have to say thank you to our advertisers over at Mack Weldon. So, whatever underwear, whatever sweatpants, whatever t-shirt you're wearing right now, it is not as good as what you'd be wearing if you were wearing Mack Weldon. I am personally wearing Mack Weldon underwear right now. They are the finest underwear I have ever owned. I have thrown out all of my other underwear. It is 20% off your first order when you go to MacWeldon.com right now and use promo code Shapiro. Not only does the product really hold up, I mean, you send it through the wash a bunch of times and it just feels the same way that it did the first time that you used it. Not only that, they also have a line of silver underwear and shirts that are anti- microbial, so it gets rid of the stench, which is fantastic. They want you to be comfortable, so if you if you get your first pair and you don't like it, you can still keep it, and they will refund you no questions asked. They perform really well, too. It's great for working out. It's good for going out. It's all good-looking gear, super comfortable. It's good for relaxing in. You know, I dress just to the nines on this show, but when I go home, I don't wear this. I get immediately into my Mack welding gear and spend the rest of the day writing while in the most comfortable clothing I can find, and that is Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com, get 20% off using that promo code Shapiro. That is Mack Weldon, M-A-C-K, Weldon, W-E-L-D-O-N.com, and get 20% off. Use that promo code Shapiro. It's a pretty solid deal. And again, best underwear I have ever owned, uh, and the rest of their gear is awesome as well. Okay. So, again, when last we left our story, it was not clear. It was Thursday, so we had to leave before the apex of the story, before the climax of the story. And the story climaxed with Trump care going down to flaming defeat. Uh, And it went down to flaming defeat because it was a crappy bill. Because be frank about this, there's a lot of blame to go around. The people who are not to blame, the only people who are not to blame in this whole situation are the people who took seriously the promises that they made to the American people over and over and over again for seven years that they were going to repeal Obamacare, not replace it with Obamacare Lite, not replace it with Obamacare Part 2.0, not replace it with a new subsidy, not replace it with a new entitlement program, not replace it with the same central regulations that Obamacare maintained. No, no, no. The people who were honest, the people who are not to blame here, are the people who are not lying to you. You, namely the people in the House Freedom Caucus. So who's getting blamed? Any guesses? That's right. The House Freedom Caucus, of course, because if you have the gall to cross Donald Trump, that means that you must pay the price. Now, it is worthwhile noting it was not just the House Freedom Caucus that opposed this bill. Apparently, the reason that it was pulled is it wasn't even close. So Republicans right now have like a 40 seat majority in the House. Uh, they, they could have lost 22 votes on this thing and still been able to pass it. They didn't. They were, they were losing something close to 50 or 60 votes on this thing. Not only the Freedom Caucus, a lot of moderates didn't like it. The moderates didn't like it because the CBO score on this thing sucked. It was wildly unpopular. 17% of Americans were approving of Trump care. Okay, that was much less popular than Obamacare, even when Obamacare passed. And that was an unpopular piece of legislation. When Obamacare passed, it was at 40% in the approval ratings. Trump care was at 17% in the approval ratings. So it's political suicide for a lot of these members to vote for this crappy bill. And so it went down. And naturally, the moderates weren't blamed. Paul Ryan wasn't really blamed, except by, you know, people like me. Donald Trump wasn't blamed because Donald Trump can never be blamed for anything because we have so much stake in him that we must we must greenlight anything he ever does. Every excuse must be made for him. The, the, the radically shifting logic about Donald Trump in order to make excuses for the fact that he did a pretty terrible job pushing this bill, uh, is, uh, it's, pretty, it's pretty amazing. I want to go through each player in this drama and explain what they did right and what they did wrong and who deserves the blame. But right now, all fire is focused on the conservatives, and Donald Trump and his team are openly saying that they now want to pander to Democrats, that they want to turn to the left. And we'll get to that in just a little while. But first, first, what did Trump do wrong? So, Here's what Trump did wrong. Trump had no ass on this. What I mean by that is that Trump did not have the patience to sit for 13 months and hash out a deal the way Obama did with Obamacare. Obama was a terrible president. He was. But the man at least had ass enough to sit around for 13 months and hash out a deal with his own people for 13 months. 13 months. Donald Trump gave the sucker about 13 days. Really, it was like 17 days from inception to failure. And that was after seven years of planning. Why was that? Well, the reason was because Trump signaled to Ryan he didn't have the ass to do this for for 17 months or 13 months or 13 minutes. He signaled to to Ryan, you better give me what I want. We better get this thing through fast. I don't want to spend political capital on this. I don't want to be going into the midterm elections talking about this. I don't want to be going into re-election talking about this. And I don't want to pay the political price for repealing Obamacare if it means that my promises that I should never have made about health insurance aren't able to come true. So Ryan immediately went to the drawing board. He negotiated with himself. Right? He, he didn't go and, and put together a national coalition. He didn't have time for that. 
and he did, and he didn't have time to coordinate with McConnell or with the House Freedom Caucus. Trump didn't bother to actually have these people over for dinner and try and talk with them until the last five minutes before the bill was rammed through. Even when it was rammed through, he then deployed the the absolute rhetorical blunderbuss of Steve Bannon to walk into the room with the House Freedom Caucus and yell at them, which is Steve's preferred mode of communication. Also, it doesn't hurt Steve in any way to do that, obviously, because he gets to show Donald Trump what a loyal guy he is. And if the thing goes down, guess who gets blamed? Ryan's Priebus, which is what he likes anyway. In any case, Trump didn't care about this issue. Trump made a bunch of false promises about this particular issue. You can't have repeal of Obamacare without a death spiral. Without, you can't repeal the individual mandate without a death spiral unless you're willing to relieve the central regulations in Obamacare. Trump was not willing to do that, and so Trump tried to ram through a bill that was bad, and then he disowned the thing. Tom Cotton got this pretty much right. The senator from Arkansas, he said, look, you cannot release a plan in 18 days and hope that this thing is going to go through. The biggest broken promise in political history. What's your reaction to that judgment? Well, John, first I'd say the president is right that the Democrats gave us Obamacare, and the failure of this bill this week doesn't solve the problems of Obamacare. It's continuing to get worse, and our healthcare system is groaning under the weight of Obamacare. So we have to revisit it. We now have the time to do it in a more deliberate and careful fashion. But ultimately, I don't think you can lay the defeat of this bill last week on any single faction in the House of Representatives. Some conservatives opposed it, some moderates opposed it, even chairmen of powerful committees opposed it. I just think the problem was with first the bill and then the process. Healthcare is a very complicated issue. To release a bill uh, that was written in secret and then expect to pass it in 18 days, I just don't think was feasible. And so the reason that it had to be passed in 18 days is because of Trump, because Trump wanted it now. He wanted what he wanted now, and he wasn't going to take no for an answer. And so Ryan had two choices. He could either go and do all the hard slogging and ignore Trump and then present Trump with a bill after he did all the hard slogging with Trump pushing against him the entire time, or he could try and do Trump's bidding, become his lackey on this thing. And then the thing presumably would pass, because the idea here was that Ryan would lock down the establishment, Trump would lock down the Freedom Caucus, and together they would be able to ram this thing through. That didn't happen because the bill itself was garbage. Now, I don't believe what Mick Mulvaney, the the Office of Management and Budget, what he had to say. He said, oh, yeah, the problem here is that that Trump just didn't think that D.C. was this broken. So the president himself pins this on the Freedom Caucus Club for Growth Heritage Foundation, so essentially conservative interest groups and the most conservative caucus in the House, a caucus you were a member of just Six months ago. Yeah, and I think there's probably plenty of blame to go around. As we sat over the last two days and tried to figure out what happened, I think what happened is that Washington won. I think the one thing we learned this week is that Washington was a lot more broken than President Trump thought that it was. What you Stop had- it right there. This is nonsense. President Trump ran on the promise that Washington, D.C. was broken and he could fix it immediately. He doesn't have the patience to actually fix it. It's not an easy process. It's not something where you can come in and just use your big businessman skills and cut the Gordian knot. That's not how this works. So that's the, the, the blame that Trump bears is really a character flaw with him, which is that he has a lack of attention. He didn't care about these issues to begin with. He didn't have the ass to sit there for 13 months and actually just put together a bill that would work. Now, the other person who's to blame here, mostly, is Paul Ryan. Paul Ryan absolutely is to blame here. Paul Ryan is the one who decided to go along with Trump's shortened timeline, his stupid timeline. It was a dumb timeline. He's the one who decided that instead of going and negotiating with all the various parties, I mean, Paul Ryan's been there for a while. He could have spent the past few months going to all the available parties and talking with them about what can pass and what can't, going to the Freedom Caucus and saying what can pass and what can't. Instead, he didn't. He waited for Trump to become president, and then he tried to rush this thing through in about five minutes. That is Paul Ryan's fault. It is his job to cobble together a bill that people can actually vote for. Instead, he cobbled together the single most unpopular bill I have ever seen proposed in front of the House Republicans by House Republicans. It's astonishing. I mean, do you understand how crazy it is? I mean, John Boehner did this a couple of times, but you understand how crazy it is that Paul Ryan, who's supposed to be the consensus guy, the guy who had to be begged into being Speaker of the House, couldn't put together a bill better than this? So... Naturally, this led to some controversy. Everybody has sort of been expecting Trump to dump Paul Ryan under the bus because Ryan is allied with Ryan's Priebus in the White House, and Steve Bannon doesn't like Ryan's Priebus or Paul Ryan, and so there's been a lot of Machiavellian manipulations here. So over the weekend, Donald Trump tweeted that he wanted everybody to watch Judge Jeanine Pirro, and people didn't know what he was talking about. And there was one theory that was plausible that suggested that he was talking about Judge Jeanine was supposed to reveal something about the leaks investigation or something. Uh, and, but, but Trump saw that because there was like a little chyron on Fox. The other theory is that he told people to watch Judge Jeanine because he knew Judge Jeanine was going to lead off with this rant. So here's Judge Jeanine. Paul Ryan needs to step down as Speaker of the House. The reason? 
He failed to deliver the votes on his health care bill. You know, Americans elected the one man they believed could do it. A complete outsider. Someone beholding to no one but them. Trump said, Trump's team said that this was all a big coincidence. They didn't mean to, to, to tell people through Janine Pirro that Paul Ryan should be fired. Should Paul Ryan step down? No, I don't see why Paul Ryan should step down. I just think that he shouldn't push crappy legislation in the future. Okay, John Boehner should have stepped down because John Boehner actually wanted to negotiate with Democrats to ram through things. If Paul Ryan starts to do that, if Paul Ryan follows the pattern here, I think that it's going to be a serious problem. Priebus came out. He said that the tweet about Ryan was coincidental. Well, first of all, I will go on record. We do love Judge Jeanine, and so does the president. Uh, I, I, I think it was more coincidental, Chris. Um, I, I, oh, I don't, come on. I did not talk to the president about the tweet. I'm, I'm just telling you the truth. There was no pre-planning here. Uh, the president, well, the, you, you the president, the president. But why would he out say watch her and then that's the first thing? Because out of he mind. loves Judge Jeanine and he wanted to do Judge Jeanine a favor. So does um, he want Paul Ryan to step down or no? Not? He doesn't. Okay, we can stop it there. Of course, Ryan's previous is going to be saying that. I'd be more assured if Steve Bannon were saying that because Steve Bannon actually hates Paul Ryan, whereas Ryan's previous is from Wisconsin and is close friends with Paul Ryan. Well, I want to get to the House Freedom Caucus and Trump attacking them in just one second. But first, I want to say thank you to one of our new sponsors, Stamps.com. So if you hate postage machines, if you don't like waiting in line at the post office and you would prefer to be able, you're sitting at home, you want to mail something, you need to go over to stamps.com. Right now, if you go over to stamps.com, you get a four-week trial with postage and digital scale. The way that this works is that you can get all the postage that you need right from your desk at stamps.com. You buy and print official U.S. postage for any letter or package using your own, or own computer and printer. You can print it out onto a piece of paper and tape it onto the envelope. You can print it out onto a sticker. You can print it out directly onto the envelope. Instead of you actually having to go to the post office and wait in line for a year and a day in order to get the stamps, you can instead and, and use the, their weighing machine. Instead, you can do it online. Uh, I've used stamps.com for years, actually, to send important letters and packages. We, we are starting to use it at the office as well. Right now, if you use my name, Shapiro, for this special offer, you get a four-week trial. includes postage and a digital scale. So you go to you go to stamps.com, stamps.com, use my name, Shapiro, for the special offer. Again, four-week trial. It includes postage as well as a digital scale, so you can weigh stuff right at your desk. And uh, top of the, there's a radio microphone at the top of the site, and you click on that and type in Shapiro so that they know that we sent you. That's stamps.com, and you use, again, that promo code Shapiro. You get that four-week trial, including postage and a digital scale, which is actually a pretty solid deal. I mean, how much mail are you going to send uh, for you and your business in those four weeks? A fair bit. Stamps.com, terrific service. Okay, so the reason all of this fighting in fighting has broken out is because President Trump refuses to let the buck stop with him. So, again, this is one character flaw for Trump. He, he never just says, okay, my bad, we should have done this differently, back to the drawing board. Instead, he issued an ultimatum last Thursday in which he said, if we don't get a vote right now, we're not going to do anything on health care because he didn't want to deal with the problem. And then he blamed the Freedom Caucus. So here is what Trump tweeted about the Freedom Caucus. He tweeted, Democrats are smiling in D.C. that the Freedom Caucus, with the help of Club for Growth and Heritage, have saved Planned Parenthood and O-Care. This is absolutely galling and disgusting. Okay, the only people who saved Planned Parenthood and the funding for Obamacare and all the rest of it are Donald Trump and Paul Ryan and all the people who wanted to push this crappy bill. Because the fact is that this crappy bill would have maintained all the central provisions of Obamacare. The only good thing it did was restructure Medicaid, uh, was actually, re yeah, restructure Medicaid, uh, making it into a block grant instead of a need-based program. Even that would have changed over time because a new Congress would come in from the Democratic side and presumably reinstate it. It wouldn't make it a permanent change. Uh, th this, this idea that, that it was the Freedom Caucus that really sunk this Club for Growth and Heritage, all those people supported him. Okay, I didn't vote for Trump. Okay, I didn't vote for Hillary either. I didn't vote for either of them because when it came to Trump, I was concerned that Trump would basically just be, he would govern like a Democrat and, uh, and you know, undercut a lot of conservative values. But that's not true of the Freedom Caucus or Heritage or Club for Growth. All of them openly supported President Trump. And here is Trump slapping them in the face as hard as he possibly can. And let's just point out, when it comes to Planned Parenthood, when it comes to single-payer health care, there's only one person in this entire equation who has come out in favor of those things. Let's flash back just a few short months ago. When you get rid of the lines, it brings in competition. So instead of having one insurance company taking care of New York or Texas, you'll have many. They'll compete, and it'll be a beautiful thing. As far as Planned Parenthood is concerned, I'm pro-life. I'm totally against abortion having to do with Planned Parenthood. But millions and millions of women cervical cancer, breast cancer are helped 
by Planned Parenthood. So you can say whatever you want, but they have millions of women going through Planned Parenthood that are helped greatly. As far as single payer, it works in Canada. It works incredibly well in Scotland. It could have worked in a different age, which is the age you're talking about here. What I'd like to see is a private system without the artificial lines around every state. Get rid of the artificial lines and you will have yourself great plans. And then we have to- We can stop it there. Okay, the artificial lines, guess what wasn't in that bill? Oh yeah, the artificial lines. None of that was in the bill. And this is the only guy on the stage who was talking about single parent, how wonderful it was in other countries. So before you start ripping on the Freedom Caucus for saving Obamacare and Planned Parenthood, couple notes, number one, even this bill delayed funding for Planned Parenthood by one year. One year. That's it. Okay, it didn't abolish funding for Planned Parenthood. Second of all, again, Trump talking as though he cares about this stuff is really galling. The people who truly cared about this stuff weren't willing to enshrine all of this bad policy. Okay, so I want to get to the Freedom Caucus response and what is obviously a war on conservatives that has now begun. We may have seen the high watermark of Trump as a conservative, which I certainly hope that's not the case. I hope that he turns back to the conservatives. But we'll talk about all of that. Uh, over at dailywire.com. If you want to become a subscriber, it's $8 a month over at dailywire.com. If you want to become an annual subscriber, you get a free signed copy of Michael Knowles' best-selling book, Reasons to Vote Democrats, a comprehensive guide, the most thorough guide to why to vote Democrat, on, uh, available in print right now. Dailywire.com, you get that annual subscription, you get a free signed copy of Michael's brilliant book. And uh, if you just want the, the monthly subscription, $8 a month, if you just want to listen to us a little bit later, uh, then go over to iTunes or SoundCloud, download the podcast, and make sure that you leave a review over at iTunes. We really appreciate it. We are the largest conservative podcast in the nation. So one thing that's become clear here is that Trump's threats do not work. A lot of people thought that Trump threatening people was going to cudgel them into line. That obviously is not happening. The Freedom Caucus leader came out and he said, listen, you know, Trump calling us out on Twitter, that ain't going to cut it. Uh, President Trump is up and tweeting uh, this morning, and it's about you. Uh, he said Democrats are smiling in D.C. that the Freedom Caucus, with the help of Club for Growth and Heritage, have saved Planned Parenthood and Obamacare. Your response. Well, I mean, if, if they're applauding, they shouldn't, because I can tell you that uh, conversations over the last 48 hours are really about how we come together uh, in the Republican con uh, conference and, and try to get this over the finish line. You know, the narrative that your panel is talking about in terms of defeat, you know, this was not a final passage. This was one bill that was going to go to the Senate, get revised and come back. If it was a final bill, that would be accurate. But here, here we are in the negotiation process. And really, George, what we're looking at here, trying to make sure that we do one thing, get premiums down for all Americans. And as we look at that, that remains our primary focus. Meadows, Meadows and everybody else, they're trying to avoid criticizing Trump. Trump's being a jackass here. When he attacks the Freedom Caucus, he is being a jackass. It's a bad bill. He pushed a bad bill. He put an ultimatum on a bad bill. He wasn't willing to actually sit there and work with Ryan to ram this through. Ryan is being a jackass, too, because Ryan is silently sitting off on the sidelines, letting Trump do all of this as opposed to defending his members and going back to the drawing board. Look, Ryan is the head of Congress. He's the head of an independent legislative branch. It is his job. It's not Trump's job to legislate. It's not Trump's job to legislate. It is Trump's job to either sign or veto legislation. That is his constitutional duty. It is Ryan's job to put in front of him legislation that he is capable of signing. So Ryan needs to go back to the drawing board. And this nonsense where Ryan goes along with Trump and he says, well, I guess health care is off the table now. Why? Why is health care off the table? Next time the government gets funded, guess what gets funded? Obamacare. What's Ryan going to do then? Is he just going to keep funding it because Trump wants him to fund it? At some point, Ryan's going to have to stand up. And if Ryan won't stand up, then he should be ousted. If Ryan's not going to push conservative legislation, then he should go. If he doesn't have the stomach for it, he should go. Jim Jordan at the House Freedom Caucus, he also says, listen, we did a favor in killing this bad bill. Isn't that on you and your fellow members of the Freedom Caucus? Uh Chris, in, in the last segment, I think uh, every, you blame the Freedom Caucus or people blame the Freedom Caucus, the Heritage Foundation, the Club for Growth. You blame, I, I, that's the president's blame, blame, blame the, uh, the Speaker of the House and even uh, people are blaming the very guest you had on before, Ryan's previous. Instead of doing the blame game, let's get to work. Let's do the responsible thing. Let's get back to work and do what we told the voters we were going to do. Remember this bill? 17% of the country approved this bill. Maybe, maybe the, the fact that we opposed it, we did the country a favor because this bill didn't repeal Obamacare. This bill didn't do what we told the American people we were going to do. So let's be responsible. Let's get back to work and do what we told the okay. American people we were It is maddening that the only people here who took seriously their promises are the people now being blamed for the promises not being kept. That is maddening and it's insane. 
And all of it is really prep, okay? All of it is prep for what we all knew was coming, which was, at a certain point, Trump's agenda was going to run up against the conservative agenda, and Trump had a choice. Was he going to work with the conservatives, or was he going to turn to the left? And it is clear that the establishment wanted him to turn to the left. Donald Trump campaigned. We talked about this during the campaign. He campaigned as an anti-establishment guy. I hate the establishment. The establishment's the worst. I'm going to break the establishment. I will fight these. No one loves Donald Trump's policy more than establishment Republicans. John McCain is closer to Trump on policy than Trump is close to Mike Lee on policy. And the fact is that if you had a spectrum in terms of policy, not personality, a spectrum of policy, and McCain is here and Mike Lee is here, Trump is here. Okay, Trump is right next to John McCain. And it's obvious that this is the direction in which he is moving. And so all of the logic about we have to defeat the Democrats, it goes out the window the moment that Donald Trump starts to act like a Democrat. I'm grateful for Donald Trump doing conservative things like pushing Keystone XL. I'm super grateful for him pushing Judge Gorsuch. But if this is the high watermark, if this is how far it was going to go, no. Okay, we still have three years and 10 months to go here, gang. I mean, at a certain point, aren't you going to demand that Trump actually swivel toward the conservative positions and start passing conservative legislation? But no, instead, everybody, including the establishment avatar, Hugh Hewitt, is blaming the House Freedom Caucus. Hewitt, who will basically represent any mainstream conservative, any not conservative, any mainstream establishment Republican position as the most brilliant, the most wonderful. I like you personally. I'm friends with you personally. But Hugh is an establishment guy, and he is an avatar of whatever the establishment wants to do. He will say, here is Hugh Hewitt channeling the establishment take on this bill. GOP cave on Obamacare repeal is the biggest broken promise in political history. It was uh, the top of, I believe, Phil Klein's. Uh, analysis, is he right? No, it's overstated. We had a very good week with Neil Gorsuch. He's going to change the balance of the Supreme Court for 30 years. And so President Trump has a huge win to put on the table this week. It was a big loss. But I agree with the autopsy that Director Mulvaney just put out there. That loss isn't on the president. It isn't on Paul Ryan. It is on the Area 51 sub-caucus of the Freedom Caucus, <laughs> which believes in legislative flying saucers that ignore the Senate and the Senate rules and the reconciliation rules. They own the loss. Nobody else. Oh, funny. Funny how that works. Funny how Trump never owns anything. Funny how he's the president who helped craft the bill. Funny how Ryan crafted the bill. Funny how those people are never to blame. You know, the people who actually have the power. The Freedom Caucus is a group of like 20 guys in Congress who have districts back home. Funny how they're the ones who are to blame, not the people whose job it is to craft legislation. And when Hewitt says that the Freedom Caucus, their Area 51, they believe in legislative flying saucers, really tell it to Mike Lee, who said the exact same thing. Does Hugh Hewitt really think he knows better than Jim Jordan on this stuff? Does Hugh Hewitt really believe that when the, for the, the Freedom Caucus, they're the people to blame? And it's, I mean, talk about whistling through the, past the graveyard. Trump had a good week last week? Trump had a good week last week? Do you know how crazy that is? Okay, Gorsuch, Gorsuch had a good week last week. It was also headline number five. Okay, I talked about this last week. I said, Gorsuch should have been the top headline. They should have delayed this vote. They should have pushed this so they could negotiate it and let Gorsuch be the headline last week. But instead, they decided to be as stupid as humanly possible. And instead of Instead of delaying it, they decided to put it all in the same week. And so Gorsuch gets overshadowed by the Russian leak stuff and by and by Devin Nunez and by the and by all of the Obamacare fail. No, it was not a good week. So do you trust the person who tells you the last week was a good week to tell you who's who's to blame here? And that, that wasn't just what that, that's not all he would had to say. He would think came out later and he said Trump is done working with conservatives, basically. And as Draper wrote, a clear elucidation of Keynesian liberalism could not have been delivered by Obama. Hugh Hewitt, is that your party now? Uh, well, it's an interesting opposition to uh, uh, going back to the right wing and trying to... I think he's done with the right wing. Done with the right wing. He is done uh, with the right wing. But if you buy five stocks, uh, one of them is the Supreme Court. That went up 400% this week. One is healthcare; care. It, it bankrupted. You still have the military <laughs> up, you have the tax bill, and you have the infrastructure. He's going to bank on the other four going up. But the Supreme Court win went, you know, I think you had the... 2020 Democratic nominee here in Mark Warner. I've said that for a long time. And well, you can't be is. the Democratic nominee and not support a filibuster. That's it. Such. That's exactly. That's, that's why he's running for president and he's going to go with Chuck Schumer and the Reed rule is going to break the filibuster. And that is great from my perspective. But Okay, so he just keeps going back to Gorsuch because that's all Hewitt can do to defend Trump here is Gorsuch, Gorsuch, Gorsuch. Again, Gorsuch is great. That is also not what happened last week in the news. Okay, Gorsuch was a secondary story in the news last week. And that headline there that Trump is done with the right wing, if Trump is done with the right wing, then a lot of people need to ask themselves, is it good that the Republican president, forget about the election, is it good that a Republican president now is dumping over the conservatives who got him elected and demanded that everybody else vote for him in order to work with the Democrats? And it's not just Hewitt saying this. It is Reince Priebus saying this. So Reince Priebus says, listen, it's time to work with the Democrats on the Obamacare overhaul.
I believe that it's time for the party to start governing, and I think that's important. I also think, though, that Democrats can come to the table as well. And if you look at what the president uh, said in the Oval just after that comment, he said, you know, perhaps it's time for us to start talking to some moderate Democrats as well and come up with you know, a bipartisan solution. No. Okay, the answer is no. This was the whole point here. Okay, whatever I thought about Donald Trump, I also thought that working with Democrats, allowing Hillary Clinton to govern, was a terrible idea, which is why I would never have voted for her in a million years. Okay, and now we're talking about the Republicans going over to the Democrats and creating bipartisan legislation. Are you kidding me? This is also a fantasy, by the way. Okay, this is a complete and sheer fantasy. You know, Hewitt calls the Freedom Caucus Area 51 people because they don't want Obamacare light enshrined in law. You know what's truly Area 51? If you believe that the Democrats are going to work with Trump, you must be out of your freaking gourd. You must be out of your mind. Right now, Donald Trump has a 9% approval rating among Democrats. You think Chuck Schumer is going to go back home to his base and say, yeah, I, I cut a deal with Trump? You think he's really going to do that? They're going to obstruct everything they can from President Trump. Everything they can. So what's Trump doing? Faced with the quote-unquote obstructionism of the conservatives who want to work with him, who voted for him, and who like him, and the obstructionism of the Democrats who hate everything about Trump, even if they like his policy, they hate Trump so much they won't work with him. The, the, the policy differences with the Freedom Caucus are real. The policy differences with some of the Democrats are fake, but they hate his guts. Okay, so the Freedom Caucus likes him, but doesn't like some of his policy. The Democrats hate his guts, but like some of his policy. So what is Trump doing? He's moving over to the Democratic side, according to Reince Priebus, according to Hugh Hewitt. John Kasich says that they should do the same thing. Okay, when you're in agreement with, with, with the sun-dried tomato that is John Kasich, you know you got a problem. Well, there's a way to improve all of this and to save money and to transform the system. And look, if you're on the extreme, whether you're on the right or whether you're on the left, you ought to be marginalized. And that's what happens when you bring reasonable Republicans with reasonable Democrats together. And then you begin to see the extreme start to move a little bit to be more constructive. Right now, when you start with a deck that's only limited number of cards, then you don't have a big hand to play. Frankly, if Republicans quietly over time will reach out to Democrats, find the constructive ones, you will begin to marginalize the extremes. And you know what? When people say in my state, we should drop 700,000 people, a third of whom are mentally ill or drug addicted or, and a quarter of whom are chronically ill, and we should turn our back on them, that's not America. That's not a country that loves all of its citizens. That is really extreme. Frankly, it borders on mean. So how do people feel about John Kasich's agenda now matching Donald Trump's agenda? How do they feel about that? Here's the real question for you today. Does your allegiance to President Trump outweigh your allegiance to any ideals whatsoever? Are you willing to what are you willing to go along with? OK, we're now in we're now in full scale untouchables mode. What are you willing to do? What are you willing to go along with? I wasn't willing to go along with Obamacare 2.0. Neither were a lot of conservatives. Are you willing to go along when he starts negotiating with Democrats? When he starts insulting conservatives on, on Twitter because he doesn't get what he wants? Are you willing to go along with that? What are you willing to go along with? And it's not going to get easier on tax reform. Okay, As I said at the beginning of the show, there are a lot of thorny issues in tax reform, including this border adjustment tax, which could be the predicate to a real fight with the World Trade Organization, which you may not like the World Trade Organization and consider a globalist, but anything that lowers tariffs around the world is a good thing. Okay, Lowering tariffs around the world is a good thing. It is not a globalist thing. It is a good thing because it means less global institutions ruling how you do business. Okay, But Priba says they want the border tax. Trump wants his border tax. If that's going to be the essence of the tax reform bill, you got a problem. Not at all, Chris. I, I think that moving forward, the president's vision on, on lowering taxes for every American is what's going to unite not just the Republican Party, but I think some of those Democrats are going to come on board as well. If we can provide one of the biggest middle class tax cuts in the history of this country, I think that's important. I think another point that's important to the, to the president is a potential for a border tax, that we start evening the, up the playing field between our country, uh, countries so around the world. He's not backing off of that. Um, it's something that's very important to him. And if you go back and watch President Trump's interviews from the 1980s, the 1990s, early 2000s, and recent years, he has been talking about this agenda his entire life. And I think now more than ever, I actually think the president is even more emboldened to stick to his guns and his heart and the things and the convictions that he's laid out. He's talking out. about this border adjustment tax? Okay, let me make a quick thing clear. Donald Trump was not talking about a border adjustment tax in the 1980s. He was talking about straight tariffs. There is a difference. A border adjustment tax means that you're going to put a tariff not even on 
on imported goods, on importing companies, not like on Japanese companies. But if an American company makes a product in Mexico and then sells it in the United States, that is now taxed. Okay, if Walmart sells a product that is made overseas, that is now taxed at 20%. The idea with the border adjustment tax is that you're going to lower the corporate tax rate. And so it's the same thing as, like, let's say the state of California, they tax everything that it's a sales tax, basically. The state of California taxes everything that is sold in the state of California at 20% and then, incre- and then decreases the corporate tax rate by 20%. What they're doing is they're encouraging people to invest in products that can be sold outside the state because those are not taxed in the state at 20%, right? That's sort of the logic of this whole thing. What happens? What happens when a bunch of people in the Republican caucus don't like the headlines about decreasing the corporate income tax, decide to dump that, and instead we just get a pure tariff? What happens then? Or what happens when the WTO decides that this does not count as a value-added tax under the rules of the World Trade Organization and that this is going to invalidate a lot of, the, a lot of it under international agreements? Do we just abrogate our agreements with the World Trade Organization, which Trump, by the way, would love nothing better than to do? This is not going to get any easier. The only way this gets easier is if Trump solidifies with conservatives, not if he splits from them and attempts to work with Democrats who hate his guts. And look, Chuck Schumer is going to play the flirt here. Chuck Schumer, the Senate minority leader, he's not a dummy. And he's already flirting with Trump. He's basically saying, yeah, I hate Trump. And yeah, Trump's terrible. And he says that for his base. And then he says, yeah, but if Trump wants to you know, leave this right wing agenda behind, I'm happy to work with Donald Trump. But he's been captured by the hard right wealthy special interests. That's who loved uh, his proposal uh, on the Trump care because it gave huge tax cuts to the rich. If they do the same thing on tax reform and the overwhelming majority of the cuts go to the very wealthy, the special interests, corporate America and the middle class and the poor people are left out. They'll lose again. So you're not because working America with the president is, tax reform. America is not where the hard right is. If he aims a proposal aimed at the middle class and the poor people, doesn't give breaks to the rich, they're doing great. God bless them. I'm glad they're doing great. They don't need another tax break. We could work with them, but I don't think they're headed in that direction, and they're going to repeat the same mistake they made on Trump care with tax reform. And there are a lot of people saying this. Nate Silver has been saying this as well, that Trump is going to move back to his populist base. This is the thing that people don't seem to understand. Just because Trump was elected doesn't mean that all of the bri- all of the gaps in Republican ideology have been bridged. There are significant gaps between national populism or whatever big government nonsense Trump wants to call it and conservatism. Those have been exposed. Trump now has a choice. Does he move to his left? Does he move to his right? Looks a lot like he's going to move to his left. And that's going to be a serious, serious problem for his presidency. And it's going to be a serious problem for conservatives if the entire party is soul sucked by this nationalist populist garbage that drives the entire conservative ideology into a minority position within the party that it was supposed to own. Okay, time for some things I like and then some things I hate. So, this week, because Republicans were indeed betrayed on Obamacare, and they were, Obamacare light was pushed by Paul Ryan, it was pushed by Donald Trump, it was pushed by all the establishment lackeys like Hugh Hewitt, it was pushed by all these people, and then it didn't pass as well it shouldn't have because it's crap. We are going to do movies of betrayal this week. So even the things I like are things I hate. So we're going to do movies that have within them wondrous instances of betrayal. Uh, Number one on this list is, of course, Braveheart. Uh, This is the the best movie uh, ever directed by Mel Gibson. I know people love The Passion, but this is actually his best film. Uh, Braveheart is... um, a terrific film, won Best Picture in 1995, I believe, and uh, it has one of the great betrayals of all time, and it's very much like the conservatives now. It's like, we're going to go, we're going to fight the we're gonna fight the British, we're going to fight them, we're going to take the fight to them, freedom! And then it turns out that a bunch of people who are the establishment lackeys decide that it's more important to get some lands handed to them by the Democrats. I came back home to raise crops and, God willing, a family. So you want me to marry you then? That's a bit sudden, but all right. Is that what you call a proposal? I love you. Always have. I want to marry you. What I just said happens, like, I think, halfway through the movie. And the woman So, it's not quite a spoiler. It's not like it spoils the end of the film. Uh, The end of the film sort of spoils the end of the film. But, but yes, it's... it's, uh, We'll try and do betrayals that, that aren't spoilers. I, Mathis notes that if we do only betrayals, then that's that's 
spoiling all of the betrayal movies. Uh, but we'll try and focus on movies where uh, where the betrayal is part of the premise of the film. Uh, Braveheart, that's not... Like, he's he's obviously fighting this the entire film. I mean, it's the entire premise of the film is that he's fighting sort of the, the go-along-to-get-along crowd the entire time. Um, and uh, and it's, it is heartbreaking. Okay, other things that I like. So, as I've said before, I'm a DC Comics guy to the point where I actually enjoyed Batman v Superman, even though everybody else hated it. Um, Listen, it's not my fault that no one else has any taste. In any case, uh, they have the they have the Justice League trailer, and that is now out, uh, and it looks it looks pretty good. I mean, I hope they don't go too marvelly. I think that that one of the attempts here is to is to move in a in a Marvel direction because Marvel is all fun and fluffy. I hate fun and fluffy, as you've noticed. Uh, I like fun. I'm not a big fan of fluffy. Um, Marvel is it makes makes all of these kind of. Unmemorable, unmemorable films uh, that everybody enjoys while they're at them, and DC makes these these more memorable films that are harder to watch because they're more gritty. In any case, here is the trailer for the new Justice League. Yeah. We have to be ready. You, me, the others. There's an attack coming from far away. Not coming, Bruce. It's already here. The others, where are they? Arthur Curry, the Aquaman. It's on him. Organic and biomechatronic body parts. He's a cyborg. You should probably move. Barry Allen. Whoever you're looking for, it's not me. He's a Batman. They said the age of heroes would never come again. It has to. It looks really good, and there's a line in the trailer that I really enjoy, uh, where uh, Barry Allen turns to Ben Affleck, uh, playing Batman, and Bruce Wayne, and he says, so what, what's your superpower again? And he goes, I'm rich. He's like, okay, I like. <laughs> That's funny. Um, so it, the, the casting here is actually really quite good. Ben Affleck was the best thing about Batman v Superman, and I hate Ben Affleck generally. Um, I thought that he was going to be terrible, and he was actually quite good as Batman. You have to read, Mathis can vouch for this, if you read Batman and Robin All-Stars, the Frank Miller comic, yeah. he was playing that Batman, correct? In the film, yeah. I mean, clearly he's playing that Batman, the sort of sadistic Batman who enjoys what he does, hurting people. Uh, it, it is the best Batman. I, I, I agree, actually. <laughs> I thought that Ben Affleck as Batman in this rivaled, rivaled Christian Bale as Batman in the Batman trilogy, which I absolutely love. Uh, the casting of the guy from Game of Thrones, Cal Drogo here, as, uh, as Aquaman. Uh, is actually pretty cool uh, because in the comics he is a uh, he's like a blonde Aryan looking dude uh, and it's kind of cool that you have somebody who looks like he's Hawaiian uh, who's basically I mean what I, I'm not sure what ethnicity he actually is but it's it's is he is he Samoan it's 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 good it's it's good casting uh, so that's that's really cool the feminists are, are going crazy over Gal Gadot because Gal Gadot who's Israeli and and super hot obviously uh, she apparently. Her armpits don't have hair in them, and so the feminists are very upset about this, which just demonstrates why no one should ever listen to feminists ever, because they just destroy human happiness. Um, but this, but the Justice League trailer looks good. Now, I will say that the original trailers for Batman v Superman, the original ones, actually also look good, and then they revealed half of what happened in the movie. So I'm hoping that what they do with Justice League is not reveal half of what happens in the film. That would be nice. Now, they're already revealing, by the way, you can see in the trailer, Superman never appears, and then they put out the poster, and there's Superman, right? So, <laughs> so... So, like, they keep they keep revealing the giveaway, although I have to acknowledge, I hope that they bring Superman back sooner rather than later, because the chances that they weren't going to bring Superman back in the Justice League movie are zero, right? Everyone knows. I mean, they foreshadowed it at the end of Batman v Superman. So, the idea that Superman is not coming back is just silly. He's going to come back, obviously. So, I guess, but they should just put that out there, and then they should acknowledge that there are going to be other twists in the story. I think one of the things that they did wrong with Batman v Superman... Now you've got me going on this topic, which I really enjoy. But one of the things that they did in Batman v Superman that was actually really dumb with the previews is they revealed Wonder Woman, right? They revealed Wonder Woman at the very beginning in the previews. If you had just watched the film and not known she was Wonder Woman, you would have thought she was Catwoman, right? My wife, when she, she hadn't seen any of the previews, when she was first watching it, she thought that Wonder Woman was Catwoman because the first half of the film 
she's stealing things, right? She's stealing things and flirting with Batman, basically, the first half of the film. So if you had not known that and then she just would have been Wonder Woman, you'd be like, oh, that's kind of a cool twist. But because it was already in all the previews, because they had to have the cool shot of her kind of rising up from the ash, you knew what it was going in. And so that was, I'm, I'm hoping they don't do the same thing with their previews. Probably they will, because they're dumb. Um, but in any case, uh, the movie, I, I will go see it, and I don't care whether you like it or not. But that's true about everything. I don't really care whether you like it or not. So get used to it, gang. You've been listening to the show for a while. You should know that already. Okay, time for th- some things that I hate. So... Governor Jerry Stupid Brown of uh, my stupid state, California, uh, he is a Jesuit and he likes to stand on his religion to talk about politics, which you're only allowed to do according to the left if you are a lefty. And so Jerry Brown says that, you know, the wall that Trump is talking about building, that is just not Christian. Uh, I I don't like that wall, number one. And uh, to the extent that that violates law, uh, certainly I would enforce that. We're not going to sit around and just play patsy and say, hey, go ahead, lock us in, do whatever the hell you want, uh, deport two billion, two million people. No, we're going to fight, and we're going to fight very hard. But we're not going to bring stupid lawsuits or be run to the courthouse every day. We're going to be careful, we'll be strategic, and we'll do the right human, and I would even say Christian thing from my point of view, you don't treat human beings like that. That is not what... Okay, listen, listening to Jerry Brown preach about Christianity is pretty rich. Uh, this guy is a full-scale socialist who has endorsed mass government action against religious people in the state of California. Uh, the idea that he is going to, that it's not Christian to build a wall, somebody should one day show him a picture of old Jerusalem, which is surrounded by a wall. Okay, Jesus was quite familiar with walls in his time, and he was not anti-wall, actually. If you, if you look at, uh, at the, the way that the land of Israel was in the time of Jesus, there are lots of walls for defense purposes. And the idea that you're not going to build a wall because it's unchristian to prevent people from crossing the border illegally is just absolutely silly. Okay, other things that I hate. So Ted Koppel went after Sean Hannity. I've been critical of Sean uh, for his coverage of Trump for well over a year now. Um, Ted Koppel went after Sean Hannity on, uh, on Nightline, and uh, it was not pretty. And that they know the difference between an opinion show and a news show. Yeah, you're not, you're cynical. Look at that. Yeah, I am uh, cynical because uh, you know. You think we're bad for America? You think yeah. I'm bad for America? Yeah, you do. In the in the long haul, I think you really? and all these opinion That's shows. That's sad, Ted. No, you know why? That's sad. Because you're very good at what you do, and because you have you have attracted. A significantly more influential. Let me finish the sentence. Let me finish the sentence before you do that. With all due respect, you yes, you have you have attracted people who are determined that ideology is more important than facts. Okay, so here's the thing. I don't think the couple is completely wrong. That a lot of people who cover Trump have pandered to people who don't care about facts because they want people to care about the ideology more. Here's the part I hate about this. This is what Ted Koppel did his entire career. Okay, the entire mainstream media have spent their entire career conflating opinion with fact, and then they get angry when people like Sean Hannity conflate opinion with fact, even while claiming their opinion host. Now, I don't necessarily like everything that Sean has said about, you know, about his portrayal of the facts. I mean, there are certain instances where I think that Sean has actually said things that are just not factual in defense of Donald Trump. That said, at least Sean says that he's an opinion host. Ted Koppel pretends he's not an opinion host and then is an opinion host. And this is one of the reasons the media are having trouble with the rise of conservative media and having trouble with debunking lies from people who are backing Donald Trump. When you spend eight years, when you spend, forget eight, when you spend 80 years defending Democrat policies, no matter how counterfactual they are, when you spend 80 years defending everything Democrats do, even if it's not true, and then you turn around and you say, well, Republican media are doing that now. Everybody goes, well, yeah, but you've been doing that forever. So how can you possibly have a leg to stand on here? And here's the proof. So the media are now emboldening the people that they, the media have an interest in playing conservative media as though they are all a bunch of kooks. And so 60 Minutes did a segment about fake news and they had on a kook named Mike Cernovich. Cernovich is a very kooky fellow uh, who does very kooky things, very, very big Trump fan, very into the whole macho of it, and distributes things that are just not true in order to promulgate a narrative about President Trump. Uh, and here is, and, and, and he's been, he's an alt-right fellow traveler. You know, he says he's not alt-right, but he said things that are clearly very friendly to the alt-right. Some members of the alt-right don't like him, but mostly he's an alt-right figure. And why is he even on 60 Minutes? He's on 60 Minutes because 60 Minutes, which is a left-wing outlet, wants to portray Mike Cernovich as you and me. He wants to portray Mike Cernovich as the mainstream right. And Cernovich, of course, is happy to take the publicity because he's a publicity whore. These news stories are fakes. 
They're definitely not fake. They're lies. They're not lie at all. 100% true. Do you believe that or do you say that because it's important for marketing your website? Oh, I believe it. I don't say anything that I don't believe. That doesn't seem like a very high bar. It's a high bar because I'm an attorney. I know how to weigh and measure evidence. And we're back. Michael Cernovich, whose articles included the fake Hillary Clinton pedophile ring and her bogus diagnosis of Parkinson's, is watching his audience grow. I'm a skeptical person, and I know that there's a lot of people gunning for me, so I'm not going to be reckless. Who's gunning for you? You are. I'm on 60 Minutes, right? What do you mean we're gunning for you? Do I really think that you guys are going to tell the story that I would like to have told? No. Your story is going to be, here's a guy who spreads fake news, uses social media, these social media people better cry. I know the story you guys are doing before you do it. What's wrong with that story? Because it is an agenda. Another story is, here is a person who is able to bypass traditional media outlets, reach people directly to tell a story. Maybe he's a good guy. Maybe he's not. Okay, so here's I'm the problem with the segment. Okay, Cernovich is what Cernovich is. Okay, I don't have to go any further into that. But the media are actually, he, Cernovich is exactly correct when he says that you're trying to sell a narrative. But it's not quite the narrative Cernovich says they're trying to sell. Cernovich says that the narrative that they're trying to sell is, here's this guy who promulgates fake news and uses social media to do it. That's not the whole story. They are trying to make Mike Cernovich the face of the right-wing media. They're trying to conflate people like Mike Cernovich with Daily Wire. They're trying to say fake news on everything on the right. And that's what Koppel does to Hannity as well. They're trying to basically say that anything right wing by necessity must be Mike Cernovich and Cernovich is a face for this. Right? You don't see them actually interviewing people like me about some of the fake news tendencies on the right very often, because if they do, then they're, they'll have to acknowledge that there are actual distinctions. But they don't want to acknowledge their distinctions. Right now, the fact is the alt-right is on the outs with the Trump administration, as well they should be. The alt-right has basically uh, diminished in power since Trump's election because Trump doesn't want to be anywhere near them because it actually creates liability for him. And so it relies on the left wing to bring them back and portray them as mainstream figures. And that's really quite awful. Okay, so tomorrow we'll do some deconstructing the culture. Plus, we will bring you the latest. Apparently, the, the Judiciary Committee just decided to delay a vote on, uh, on Neil Gorsuch. So we'll bring you the latest on that, plus the latest in all the news. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. While tackling your New Year's goals, don't forget about your daily dose of fruits and vegetables, which just got easier to remember thanks to Balance of Nature. Their fruit and veggie capsules offer a convenient way to consume those essential nutritional ingredients daily. So improve your diet and feel your best this year. Go to balanceofnature.com and use promo code WIRE for 35% off, plus a free fiber and spice in your first order as a preferred customer. That's balanceofnature.com, promo code WIRE. 